Hey everybody, we are Francis, Martin, and Robert, and this is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters. This is episode 17. I'm Francis in the captain's chair. I'm Robert. I'm Martin. Uh, we are. We wanted to do something called Our Heroes, something that's very personal to all of us. It's not just an important historical person or somebody... Uh, that is noteworthy for whatever reason, but it's someone in history that speaks to each of us and defines what we believe are heroic qualities. Somebody that's worth your knowing because we have found them to be an inspiration or uh, something for us that really matters. And I get to do the first one this time, and I had to pick my favorite, and that's Thomas More, Sir Thomas More or St. Thomas More, if you wish. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about him uh, for this episode, and I'm going to try and explain to all of you all why he's important, and hopefully all of us can kind of delve into that and see what is it about him that's so good. So, Thomas More. Uh, he was born in the 15, uh, 1468. He grew up during the War of the Roses, uh, we know him at the end in 1535 when he got his head chopped off by Henry VIII. That's kind of how most of us know him. We've probably seen the movie A Man for All Seasons, Best Picture, 1966. We if you were haven't, on... go see it or rent it. Rent it, it. absolutely. Whatever. Although I will, I will step out. Yeah, you got to sling that beast. Well, actually, I think as good as that one was, yes, it won Best Picture. Paul Schofield is awesome. It's the Charlton Heston TNT version that really put its hooks in me in 1988. Really? That's funny yeah, because that, just prior yeah. to the show, I was just saying to Martin that I like the movie version better. Absolutely. Not, really? Not, not the yes. film to play. Not, not, it, it's almost blasphemy that he doesn't like the Chuck version. I love the Chuck version. I just like the movie better. Well, there, there are certain probably, reasons for it, that. It's an Olivier, right? No. No. Paul Schofield. Paul Schofield plays him. Yes, no. My my apologies. Yeah, uh, although what you might be remembering is Orson Welles does have a very short part at the beginning uh, as Cardinal Woolsey in the movie. Uh, And John Gielgud does it in the Chuck version that's done in uh, in 1988. But the the, the Charlton Heston version is done because Ted Turner wanted to launch the TNT television network at that time, and he and Charlton Heston were big buddies. And Charlton Heston was, as he, in his words, I know politically they're about as far apart as uh, several galaxies, but they they were really they were big buddies. And uh, Chuck always admired big personalities like Ted Turner. Right, he, he was always attractive. And Charlton Heston was at that time still considered to be one of those what he would call a thousand pound gorilla, uh, a big star. So yeah. if you could get somebody like him to do something for you, that that matters. He's, so he's trying to launch that. And Chuck had played more on stage in the 80s and he wanted to do a full-on adaptation of the play into a movie which is not what Paul Schofield did it was a major motion picture based on the play yes the playwrights the one that actually did the screenplay so most of it's the same and yes I can see why you might like the movie version better because it has all the cinematography and the outside spaces it's bigger yes. because it's done that way whereas 
it's the TNT TV movie is very much a stage play done on film. And that's probably why one of the reasons why I'm not as big on the play, because I believe plays are meant to be seen in person. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would have loved to have seen Charlton Heston play him yes. uh, in, in an actual live theater. I think that plays done for the screen just don't come off as well as they do in person. So There's therefore, almost no point. You might as well do it as an actual... Right. If you're going to go to the trouble of filming it and doing costumes and sets, go all the way. One of the reasons that I that I like to kind of start out with the movie, a, it's where I started. Yes, I happened to see it on its original airing when it first when it was first aired. This was 1988, and I was I was at home. I was by myself, my first apartment actually, and I had no interruptions, and I I was fascinated by it. I absolutely was fascinated by it. I would, I, I recorded it to audio. I would listen to it constantly. I've got it almost memory. Don't laugh, I, 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 but I've almost got the darn thing memorized. Hey, those, I love when, it so when much. Those cars in the nineties had those tape decks. You had to listen to something. That's exactly right. And I became fascinated by him. And I, we knew of him. I knew of him. You know, you kind of know the story a little bit about he gets in trouble with King Henry, but that is not even the beginning of all that he did. Fortunately, he was a prolific writer of his time. Uh, they finally published the last of his complete entire corpus of works in 1997. It took that it took from 63 to 97, 15 volumes. They are huge. Uh, that's the Yale University mm. did that. Although many of his works, he has you can you can buy them uh, in paperback in a, a very accessible formats as well. Uh, it's just that this includes all his correspondence, which is a fascinating subject that you could go into. Uh, he wrote the he coined the phrase utopia because it's named after the book that he wrote. Uto- utopia and utopian that's more completely the ideal society that he wrote. It's the only novel that he actually wrote, although it was a commentary on political life. He was doing Jonathan Swift long before Jonathan Swift was ever born. Uh, social commentary on that. In many ways, he was a man of the times, which is the Renaissance. Granted, England comes to the Renaissance a little bit later than the rest of Mm -hmm. the continent, but he's a Renaissance man. According to one of the the websites for him, he was not just a lawyer, but he was also a journalist. That's correct. As well as a writer, a very prolific writer, although back then men of of means or men of stature were all prolific writers. And Um, it's his lawyer's training, and he was... he, his father was a judge in London. Uh, he he uh, studied at Oxford and Cambridge. Uh, he got his lawyer degree. He went to work for the City of London for a while. He was well known within that arena for a while, but came to the eye of the royal court and uh, at the age of 42 uh, went into the king's service. And from there, his rise was pretty meteoric, only because he was so darn good at what he did. He was very, very... he was. A lawyer and a statesman, he was unmatched. Uh, but he was also very much a devout individual. We have to understand, one of the things that fascinates me about Moore is church and state are the same thing for him. They're exactly the same. And he, his devotion to the church and his devotion to the state, he sees no dichotomy there. We as Americans can't understand that. We see them as oppositional, but he did not. No, but as a Catholic of his time, That's correct. it would have been unnatural to separate church and state. That's right. But because he is on the cusp of great societal change in this area, he comes across as being unique when in fact he was not for his times. He is certainly just more prolific 
than those around and him. And he, he does come at, to odds with the state mm -hmm. in the person of Henry yes. because he will not betray the church. That's correct. Henry, so, Henry forces the dichotomy to happen. Yes. And Moore makes his choice very clearly. Matter of fact, if probably if it weren't for Henry, as much as as a Catholic, I would not call him a hero. You could probably say that he is the at the root of separation of church and state in our own country. Oh, absolutely. There's Philosophically, no, we could trace it back to him. That's exactly right. Because what he puts in place uh, at this time in the 1520s and 1530s, uh, we would react against. You know, almost 200 years later. Much like Moore. Much like Moore. That's correct. So Henry would be the inciting incident. Moore would be why we. Yeah. Our model to respond with that. That's right, because we we would all we all feared ending up like Moore did. Let me interject here. First off, I want to compliment you on the spectacular use of dichotomy. You always pull those great ten dollar words out, and I love them. Oh, thanks, sir. We're talking about Thomas More. It's be a ten shilling word, sir. A ten shilling word. You know, as a heathen, he's not a big part of my experience. Right. So I want to challenge you. I want to push you a little harder here. I want you to make this more personal for you. You're talking about him being prolific. You're talking about uh, that he sees church and state. Okay. It, go personal. Why, go. Why is he meaningful to you. What is it about him that makes him your hero? And, and why should we then see that and, and begin to pull that into our own life? I can give it to you in one word, and it's Moore's own word itself. Integrity. Outstanding. He coins the term, actually. It was not used before this. He's the one that actually creates that. Although the concept is certainly not original. Mm -hmm. right. Well, it would have come from a Latin root. So right, exactly. It, it's, not, it's just a new way to, to phrase and use a, an existing idea. Thomas More was an, was an exemplar of being what he is, what he says he is. When he says something is his belief, you can take it to the bank. He believes strongly in the primacy of conscience, it's ultimately well, what he dies for. That's an interesting for. phrase. I really like that. Primacy of conscience. Tell me some more about what that really means. The loyal subject is bound to be loyal to his conscience more so to any other thing. Those are Moore's words. And he does believe that in certain aspects, in his case, it is the belief that the king cannot claim the supremacy of the church. It's not, it's not to be given. Uh, he believes... Yes, he believes it cannot be claimed because it's a spiritual supremacy determined by God. Right. The church is a divine institution as well as a human one. Right. But you can't have the human one take precedence over the divine because that is unnatural. That's exactly it. The his, thing about his conscience would not, because he believes this. As he would say, it's not, it's not that I believe, but I believe. It's in, it's in the movie, it's in the play, and it's, it's a bit of a nuance depending on how it's performed. But it really tells very clearly, he says, after that, he says, I trust I make myself obscure. Because at the time, he was trying to navigate the waters of not getting killed or imprisoned, with, but he would not be pushed only so far. So what you're saying that 
you admire his stance of being true to himself absolutely over being true to a sovereign or a custom or uh, or a way of doing things or the way that and that, and uh, that, that was that was he, his, would, he would not be moved and that was his pathway to faith his pathway to divine inspiration no I have to say he already had his faith and uh, he saw this as divinely inspired. So it's past it, the, is it the other way around? It's the other right. way around. Exactly his, it. He has his faith, and then that's his pathway to self-discovery. While we do not, while you don't necessarily see this concept uh, either well understood or well expressed always in the church, and by the, the church, when you know Francis and I talk about it, we mean the Catholic Church. Yeah. Uh, is this primacy of conscience? Because this is a concept that has actually made it into modern church documents. Vatican mm -hmm. II, a lot of what has come out of that rests on this idea of primacy of conscience. Uh, in other words, God will hold you accountable for not only for what is real and true, but also your understanding of it. Interesting. So if Interesting. my understanding of God, for instance, just to kind of go a little far, faith, far afield here to kind of explain what this means. So if I'm... Uh, in some remote area of South America and no one has brought the gospel to me I've never heard of Jesus Christ and yet I live a life that how I worship aside you know that kind of external but how I treat one another and I treat the poor around me and I treat my fellow man and I treat my children my wife how I am a part of my small society if all of those things would be seen as well a good moral man would live that way then the church says that it is evidence that you seek to live as God would have you live even if you don't know that this is how God yeah. so there's so many it's called invincible there. ignorance there's there's faith as a building block to the complete human person oh absolutely very much so and then there's also that eternal question of nice one, very good, very good. Of good works versus faith as wow. the path to salvation. But see, that's just it for a Catholic. It's not versus. Exactly, it's a both and. That's right. Yes, yeah. and and there's, that there's ties no us all right back to all of our discussions about deism and Franklin and Voltaire. It's interesting how things circle around. More we start with a whole different person. Eternal questions are eternal. And universal. That's right. Oh wow! There you go. More would have had if he had if he had known Voltaire and all those things that he put forth. Uh, oh, they well, they'd have been they, buddies. They, they would they would have been exactly right because More was he was very enlightened for his time. One of the things I like about him too is his prime not only primacy of conscience. That's a moral side to him. That's a personality thing to have. He's also has many beliefs that are admir admirable. His belief in education was one of them. His daughters, his three daughters were the most educated women in England in a time where this was absolutely not, not unheard of, but opposed. But because yes. he had... Well, most men weren't even that is so educated. Interesting. Yes. And that is a cornerstone of, of uh, humanist thought. But humanist. I'm glad we got to that word because that is probably the best description for him. This is the, the background is that's, that's right. this revolution that's going on as he lives. This is Erasmus. That's right. His and, good friends. His good friends, yes. Yes. And, all, and this correspondence across the continent and with England right. in and this, this belief in revolution. education 
and not just education for its own sake. This is, in, you could call this an enlightenment, small e here, mm -hmm. but that's exactly what he's trying to promote. In many respects, this is the forerunner to yes. Voltaire and all the those, those items that come later. I want to run with this for a second. Please. So, oh. humanist. Normally, when we think of that term today, we think of it as an anti-religious, secular concept. That's right. Oh, it's not yes, that. Very much. And you're, it, you're absolutely right. But when you look at it from Moore's perspective, and really from the church's perspective, to be humanist is to be a moral person. Yes. And there is no other way to be a humanist. And that's the only thing that's good for all. It and is they're respecting the inherent dignity of the human person. I love it when that, we go here. That is key to what means to being fully human. And you, you asked why Moore is personally attracted to me. He just nailed it. That's exactly right. Humanism, in all of its greatness, expounds the greatness of the human person, the individual person, never at the expense of the group, but all people. And while also recognizing we are created in the image and likeness of God, we are not fully human apart from God. Right. We are fully human wow. by the grace of God. In yes. all of our diversity. So you, get, you know, I, and like I'm telling dick jokes and talking about big metal hoopy-doobs, <laughs> and you guys are, you you know, this is tremendous stuff. Yeah. Hey, I worked it in. I got <laughs> big metal hoopy-doobs. We were talking about that. We were, we've been trying to do that for a long time, trying to figure out how to get that one on the, on, on tape. We so I've been talking about that. I sure didn't expect it to come in the Thomas More episode. Thomas More episode, no. But that's all right. And, and, you know, i got to inject some, some heathen stuff in there, but, oh, this is amazing stuff. So you I, really I love, need I love to get this to know opening, him. this and, window into into you guys. And the beauty of so much and, and one of the things that I didn't know when I first saw that movie, and I keep going back to that movie because that was my that was my spark. That was the thing that started with me. Almost every word that Moore speaks in that movie, which is from the play, which Robert Bolt took, is adapted from Moore himself. He said this stuff. He had these moments. Literally his own words, yeah, not yeah. made up. That's correct. We think he sort of said stuff. That's like right. Yeah, because as we know, we've got this huge volume of a corpus of his works. It's not difficult to figure these things out. His trial in particular. Well, yes, that, that would have been recorded anyway. Absolutely. And all that, the, the huge dramatic scene at the end with him on trial, those words he speaks are his words. Mm. I mean, they're adapted for the screen, yes, of course, and they're, they're done in modern English. Uh, and in a dramatic fashion, but ultimately, there's nothing, you know, it's, it's whole cloth from what he did here. And it's, it's astounding, really, that he is willing to die for his beliefs. You know, that's a, that's a great point, because very few modern people, and I, I say this not to be negative, it's just, it just shows the depth of him, mm -hmm. but very few people... I think are truly willing to die for what they believe in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now we might be willing to die for abstract concepts. You know, there are a lot of people willing to die for their country. Right. That's right. that's something you believe in. But when it comes to things like faith or philosophical concepts, mm -hmm. no. That's right. Especially in the face of the entire society that is that is lined up against you, he was truly a man alone. That's one of the reasons why Interesting. martyrs are saints. That's right. Because it is such an extraordinary thing. You know, one of the things that about Moore that speaks to me, it's a lot of what you've talked about, but I didn't really discover him, didn't never saw the movie, I don't think, until after I became Catholic. Because as a convert, he just wouldn't have been on my radar. You know? 
Because before, before I became Catholic, I too was a heathen. I was not even baptized. I, I was heathen in the truest sense of that word. And so learning about this kind of man in the early years of being Catholic, uh, and then of course now the parish I'm at is St. Thomas More. So to me that's even better. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that kind of thing is, is, is a truly inspiring thing because you have a man who is willing to die, not just for what he, this philosophical principle, this is, this is truly integral <laughs> to his faith. Mm -hmm. He gets a bum rap uh, from the uh, anti-religious uh, anti or anti-Catholic side thinking, well, he was just stupid. And I think that does, that really is a disservice, a disservice. to him. Very yeah. much so. And I will also submit... Stupid for... For dying. For dying, okay. Not yeah. intellectually... No, nobody, nobody would nobody would ever challenge his intellectual yeah. prowess. And his... his, his uh, and at the time, he was well-known. Uh, the fact that he did not write... He did not write a statement against Henry uh, on, on this issue... Uh, they say they say it in the movie. You know, his silence is bellowing up and down Europe because his reputation was so. I mean, he was Chancellor of England. Right. He's well known. He is well known. Oh yeah, yeah. I, this. I mean, I mean we, we scratched the, just the bare surface right. of the accomplishments of his life. It's, he's just he is Chief Justice these. and Attorney General, uh, all rolled into one. Uh, right, and, and an incredibly trusted counselor for many years. He is yes. absolutely, and not just counselor. He's truly friend. You know, Henry VIII was called the defender of the faith. Many believe that it's more that wrote. Give, give me Latin everything. Real quick. Uh, defensor fide. Yeah, yeah. Fide defensor. Fide, yes. Yes. fide defensor. That's right. Which was the actual Latin term. It was an award that the Pope gave to him. Uh, Henry gave to Henry. Henry gave Henry. No, but no other. Ironically, no other English king had ever received this honor to do this, and it was because of a book that he wrote. Uh, Although something more had a great deal to do with it. That. That's actually addressed in uh, in the movie a, a little bit because Henry actually did write the book. More contributed to it. Yeah, the question is how much did he? How contribute? much did he contribute? But apparently, as he says in the movie, it was first last king's own project uh, because Henry. He considered himself a good son of the church at one point. He did. He died thinking himself a good Catholic man. Mm -hmm. Ironically enough. Ironically, which you could make an argument for that case. I think it's a stretch, but that's mainly a stretch because of what his daughter Elizabeth did. Mm -hmm. Because she's really the one who created the Anglican Church. Yeah. Really, that's where the break Henry happens. put a lot of pieces in place that would yes. come to it, but they could might not have survived. If it weren't for, uh, because his daughter Mary undid a lot of them in her short reign, uh, and it was Elizabeth that cemented them in. Right. So the cement was hardened by the time she was done. There's no going back. Absolutely. But one of the things I think about Moore is he is not just a Catholic hero. He is a hero for the ages. A man for all seasons is a very good way it's of putting it. It's an apt description. It's yes. an apt description. That's very well put. Because we should all learn about him. Because somebody who believed in learning, who believed in the human person, he believed in the general goodness of mankind. That's, that is more. Uh, he is somebody that was not afraid to argue uh, his points. He was brilliant at the way, as a lawyer would be, he has the ability to take what he believes and translate it in such a way that will make you believe true. That's an amazing more, quality. 
I think the thing about more that is and should be universally appealing to people are these stands he takes because they should be, especially in this country, they should be recognizable by almost anybody. Not, and I don't mean necessarily the particular points about the king being yes. over the church, mm-hmm. but the fact that he would not let the state bully him into doing something his conscience would not allow. He is, he is the patron saint of religious freedom. He's and also the patron saint of lawyers and yeah. states, and those are official. Yeah. I prefer to think, this is something we haven't talked about, I prefer to think of him more as the patron saint of a Catholic household, of a family. Yes. He's a family. Oh, yes. See, we didn't even get into any of this, Tim. Uh, because of his, uh, I don't want to say aristocracy, because he, he was not that, he earned his way to where, he, to where he was. But his household, being chancellor, and even when he was counselor before that, uh, he educated in his home his daughters, his children. They prayed regularly together. He had not only his three daughters and one son, but he also had an adopted daughter, a stepdaughter, and a ward that were all part of his family. And Moore was very much in charge. He even had a menagerie out in the back, as a matter of <laughs> fact. Uh, that, that this, he was, in many respects, the great father figure to all of these. Uh, and his really, chancellor is an extension of yeah, that. Yeah, and his, uh, absolutely, because he's ch- chancellor, you have the, the, you're the shepherd of the realm yeah. in a secular fashion, in a judicial fashion. More lived at see there's that integrity. A father there. of the nation. That's right, exactly. He is and he's also father to his household, to his family, to his wife, to his children. And that is a fascinating subject. If you all will permit me, I'm gonna open up a, a window here a little bit. Listeners, I don't I don't know if we've talked about this in any of the episodes so far, but you know, we're not just three guys who met last week. And sat down here and started doing this. No, that's this is true. not an artificial thing. Nobody's put us together. We were we've been we, together for a long time. Thirty-five years. That's right. And these are the kind of discussions that we have. Somehow or another, it seems like to me, no matter where we start, whether we start with Elizabeth the Second or Thomas More or Jack whoever, Kirby. Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. We seem to always come around to this concept of the completeness of the human person, the value of the human person. And to a degree what we're talking about here is individuality. And I don't mean individuality in a shallow sense of, well, I wear five earrings and my hair is purple. I'm talking about the individuality of your conscience of your beliefs, for you guys, your faith. It's not a question of expression. Exactly. Right. It's not the externals you see, it's the internals. The internals. We always seem to end up here, and I'm fascinated. Again, more is not in my pantheon, but I end up in a lot of the same places from other directions. Mm -hmm. Nietzsche, which would seem like a whole different place to be, Mm -hmm. but one of his things is, uh, there's a quote of his, there, you can't pay too high a price for owning yourself. And to me, that's a lot of the same things you're talking about here. This, the conscience, this, the completeness of a human person. That's a, you know, you can't pay enough to own your own self is a great way of stating exactly what Moore was about, mm-hmm. about the primacy of conscience. Because 
If he had let Henry bully him into doing that, he would have been forever Henry's creature. Yes. He's no longer his own man. And right. he would have, and he believed that he would pay the eternal soul. His soul would pay the eternal price. Right. He was very clear with so, that. So listeners, I, I, this isn't just bourbon talking, even though we like to have the bourbon with us. And yeah, yes. we do have a couple of we, glasses. We do, here. absolutely. That's right. Uh, I, I've got makers. What did you say you had? I have the Woodford Reserve Double Oaked. For my, my money, this is the best you can buy short of a Pappy Van Winkle. I love the color. It is a, a this a wonderful a dark, deep amber. Rich. Yes. There's no water in yours though, right? Yeah. I uh, no, actually there is. I put some ice in here because my my uh, soapstone cubes were had you know they weren't as cold as they were. Yeah, so, okay. Uh, that's actually watered down a little. Yeah. Uh, it's a wonderful color. Now, I'm still a huge fan of the Angel's Envy that we 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 had that's, a few episodes ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I, I just I, I appreciate you all letting me open that window. And I think that's important for people to see, uh, you know, this is a big deal to us. We, yes. we're, we are, we're really trying to put something into this and, and let it take us somewhere special. You know, the best discussions always involve the human condition and an exploration of that. And that's always where we end up, because that's what I think makes this podcast so daggone good. You know, <laughs> it's funny you should say that, because that made me think of, you know, one of the things we obviously that we have in common is where we met. Yes, that's right. We met at what is now Bellarmine University. That's right. Which is now Bellarmine, was Bellarmine College. Well, it was Bellarmine College. And one of the classes that every person who went there had to take was Ultimate Questions. Ultimate Questions. My son is taking it now. That's yes. right. And it has left its mark on us because that's kind of where we where that's we always what work. That's we do, and it's we are not. I mean, again, listeners, it's two people with business degrees and one with a computer science degree. Oh, art and business. Art and business. We're not philosophy degrees here. We're, but we all had three semesters of we, philosophy, and it at just Bellarmine. it tugs liberal at arts us. education. It tugs at us that liberal arts are to to explore this. To explore the nature of humanity. It's the difference between being educated and trained. Yep. Oh, very well said, sir. I, I oh, really believe that's man. true. You're, I sat yeah, in, a, uh, in one of our team meetings. I won't mention the, 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 where I work or the people in the meeting. But I, you know, talk about, uh, you know, we joke around because, you know, it's all a bunch of guys in, in, in the room. And, you know, we know how guys are with each other, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So... We talk about big metal hoopajoos. That's right. We talk about big metal hoopajoos. He got it in twice, folks. <laughs> that's right. So we're sitting there, and you know, the guy that's on my uh, smaller part of our team, uh, part of the larger team, he went to Purdue University, as did my boss. And I wonderful, wonderful university. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not saying wrong. There's anything wrong with Purdue, um, but I always joke with with the guy on my team uh, that the only reason he got hired was because they both went to the same school, and yeah, we were just kidding around with each other about the schools we went to, and you know, I, you know, they were giving me grief about going to a liberal arts school. Mm -hmm. And it's like liberal arts education is the best education because it teaches you how to think, it teaches you critical thinking. His response, the boss's response, was, "An engineering degree doesn't do that." It's like, no, you, you know, not that, beyond the scope of the of that. It's training. Subject. It's a difference between taking uh, all math classes so you can be a mathematician and taking that liberal arts class so that you can 
understand what the math means to the greater world. So you can be human. Well, yes, Fully that human. too. It really is. Yeah. You know, eternal questions are universal, and they are timeless. Mm -hmm. They are ultimate, mm -hmm. and, and we, that's what and we they, talk about. They so got we, our lives, our families, everything. And we do ourselves a disservice if we ignore them. And right. we have to find some way to get there. And you use more that's right. uh, as a building block more of your faith takes to get there. there. That's correct. And I, and, and I get there in, in other ways, but we, we get to a lot of the same well, same we, place. We've had very similar backgrounds in many ways, even though we come from very diverse specifics. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we have... First-generation college students, all three of us. Yes. That's right. First-generation college students. I'm a convert to the Catholic faith. But I was relatively unchurched growing up, even though my my uh, my family roots are very very south uh, Southern Baptist. I mean, like down home Southern Baptist. And then you've got our he resident heathen who is not <laughs> Catholic, right. but went to Catholic high school and, and college. Cal and college, that's right. Yes. And then we've got the lifelong Catholic, right, Catholic. Over here with right. Jesus. Yeah, cradle right. Catholic. And that common, you know, if nothing else. Bellarmine College is the best thing that ever happened to me because it's where I met my best friends and where I met my wife. Can't beat it. And where I learned to be a complete that. human. That's right. That's it. That's it. Yes. I wish at the time I knew what was happening to me. I realize now later it's better what to go through without. Me. Yeah, it's better to go through without realizing. Well, I think I think I would. Yes and no, because I, I wish I had. I wish I had realized a little more, I wish I paid a little bit more attention to some things. You know, I we wish I was a little bit more active in that. Yeah, we wouldn't have had as much fun, though. Well, that's probably true. If we were true. looking at it in the way, yeah. same way we look at it now, we, uh, well, I don't we wouldn't have been that. Well, yeah. if we could go back in time and talk to our 25-year-old selves as we are now, we'd have a lot of things to say. Oh, well, everybody well, would, yeah. You know, but, but all of the experiences, not just the learning ones, yeah. oh, absolutely. make you who you are. That's right. And... It makes us why we're a good team. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, and well, okay, yeah, maybe we're listeners. Maybe you won't think we're a great team of three, but we think we we're are. a great team of three. Yeah, uh, you know, education three is a magic number. Yeah, education. it is. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So the three and one. I mean, you can't get much more Catholic than that. Even we're, we're not Catholic. We're a Trinity. We're, That's right. We're Absolutely. a Trinity. Uh. uh all right. Well, Francis, wrap us up. Yeah, it's uh, uh, Moore is truly my hero. Uh, if you had to pick one, you know, as my high school English teacher would say, if there could only be one who was true and everybody else was false, who would you pick? For me, it would have to be Moore. He is someone who I look up to. Uh, I see him in my life. I see the parallels at times. Uh, he was well-spoken, and he never, uh, he was never unreasonable. But he always, there are certain things that he thought were worth giving the ultimate price for. And, and we're challenged in our face and, and, our, and challenged in our individual beliefs differently mm -hmm. than he was. So sure. I, I think it, it can be, uh, what's, our, what's your word, your favorite, hubris, hubris to yeah. compare ourselves too much to him. No. So he lost his life for his ideals, and mm -hmm. we're probably in no danger of that. But well, only because we, we, we live when we do, and he lived when he is. Yeah. He was at that we live in that free point. society, and 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 we face different challenges to our. Face. In many respects, his martyrdom was one of those reminders to us as Americans today: this can't happen again. 
He was murdered, so we don't have to be. We must not let it. We must not let this happen again. The thing that I think makes him a great martyr, which really all martyrs are heroes, but the thing that makes him a great because martyr means witness. But the thing, so the thing that makes him a great witness is that integrity. Mm -hmm. The whole point of the church naming martyrs as saints and other people as saints is that they are people that we look up to, that Mm -hmm. we aspire to be. That's why I said that all all saints are heroes Mm -hmm. in that sense. And he is great because the things that he stood for, the things that were his crosses to bear, are things that even 500 years later, we can identify with. That's right. We still Not all saints are ones we can identify with. The ones that died in the Colosseum, we can recognize their heroism for dying for what they believe. It's hard for us to come up with an equivalent. Yeah, yeah. Railing against the bullying by the state or by anything, you know, that's something that not just Americans, Jews in 1938 Nazi Germany mm-hmm. would recognize that. As something to look up to, and that's what. And what's one it's thing? It's timeless. That, that's right. And more is unique in the fact that he did write so much. We know him. We know him so well about what happened to him. It's all written down. He's so accessible compared to some of the others, as you mentioned. That may, maybe we have a line that says, "Yes, so and so died in the Colosseum." We know more. He is very human. He's very personable, and that, on top of his being admirable, mm-hmm. is why I love him so. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel. <laughs>